Good afternoon. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 34, verses 1 through 7. Genesis, chapter 34, verses 1 through 7. Could you please rise with me for the reading of God's word? Hear now the word of the Lord. Now Dina, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Sheshem, the son of Hammer, the Hivite, the prince of the land saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dina, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Sheshem spoke to his father Hammer, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dina, but his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hammer, the father of Sheshem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by, by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, everybody. Today is a happy day for me for many reasons, uh, especially because I finally got Reverend Donnie Park to give us the anthem. Uh, he's such a wonderful uh, very um, just joyfully spirited, encouraging pastor, and as you all have heard today, very talented as well. Could we just give him one more thank you as an appreciation? <clears throat> thank you so much. After hearing that, I give thanks to God, but I also give thanks to you, sir. It was so good. Um, I just wanted to give some announcements uh, before we continue on with Genesis. Uh, you'll have to excuse me. I do have a little bit of a head cold. I don't know why, but um, I think I caught it from one of you. Uh, we, are, we have so much to be thankful for, especially as we go independent I announced last week that we're going to be called uh, the church gathered and scattered. Uh, this is something that we've been praying as a leadership for about for many months. I wanted to actually announce it next week, but the leaders kept on encouraging me, announce it sooner, the sooner the better. It's like, there's no background, there's no story, I'm just going to announce it. So I did it, um, but I want to give you the background. I really wanted it to come and be something that is organic, not something that I force on. I'm more of a jokester, a little bit sarcastic at times. Not, not really, I'm not that sarcastic. But uh, sometimes I enjoy some sarcasm. And, you know, I could, I could make very, I could make names up um, that are just, I guess, ridiculous. So I thought of Pilgrim Jr. Um, you know. Like, uh, because I ad admire Tim Keller so much, uh, we could have named our church uh, the Redeeming Church, um, because we're not the Redeemers, right? That's kind of blasphemous. I'm just kidding, Tim Keller, he's, he's the man. Um, but uh, could have named it Redeemer, Deeming, could have named it a lot of things, uh, but someone had come up to me and said, you know, Pastor Eugene, you always end our service with... Uh, gathered and scattered, and then the benediction. Aren't we the church kind of gathered and scattered? So aren't we the church gas? I was like, oh, I don't think I want to call it gas. 
so gas, gas is rough. I, uh, we're not the gassy church. Um, some of you might be, but not, not me. Um, so I, I said, why don't we be the church gathered and scattered, and CGS for short. But if, you, but if you think about it, it really is organic, or I think it really was spirit-led, because if you continue to say CGS, uh, it really reveals our spirit. Uh, what, do you, what do we want? Don't we want to see Jesus? So CGS. And so... I'm sorry, I had, to, I had to slip that in there. You thought I was serious. No, but um, just like that FedEx arrow, once you hear it, you can never unhear it. See Jesus, that's our new uh, uh, church title, uh, name. But it's something that we've been praying about. Uh, obviously, we can't be pilgrim. Um, as much as I wanted to be not Eugene, ever since I was little, I didn't know why my mom called me Eugene. I thought that was the worst name ever. No offense, brother. Uh, I, I thought, I was like, every Eugene I know is not as cool as I want them to be. And whenever I go someplace, and they're like, what's your name? I'm like, my name is Eugene. They're like, what? Eugene? Eugene? I don't know. They're like, what? I was like, E-U-G-E-N-E. Oh, Eugene. I was like, yeah, whatever you said, right? Uh, and some, some people say Eugene. Some people say Eugene. So I, I still don't get it. Um, when I went to work, people decided to just call me Gene instead. So I became Gene when I was working. I, I'd rather be, uh, I thought my dad's name was cooler. His name was Jong Duck. I thought that was a gangster name. I said, if my dad named me after himself and I was Jong Duck, I would not be a pastor. I'd be in a gang somewhere saying... Call me JD, sucker. <laughs> uh, I, I could have been JD Jr., um, but alas, my mom said Eugene. And I asked her why. Why do you call me Eugene? Of all the names you could have picked. And this was her answer. Because I like the name Eugene. I was like, that, that's it? Okay, fine. And so, we are also CGS. Um, there's a lot of things going on in our church, so many things. And I really want us to be on top of it too. I don't want to take this time to give announcements. I really don't. Because there are so many new people that are coming through our doors, people that are visiting. I don't want it to be announcements. I really want you to come early at 12. Uh, that's not even early, that's actually when we start and listen to these announcements. But when I really share my heart about personal things like CGS or anything that is happening in our church. And if you don't know what's happening, I can guarantee you one thing. If this was a surprise to you, that means you haven't been to our Wednesday or Saturday services. So I encourage you to come out. That's where I really share my heart. Uh, I really want this time to be a time where I can speak from the pulpit the word of God and keep it that way. That's really my heart as a pastor. Uh, I really want to speak from the Bible. It's so rich. There's so much to say. But when I put announcements in there, it really cuts down um, the time I can speak on the Bible. But I do have two more things I want to share. And that is, as a church, we're going independent. We are also looking for a new pastor. Uh, we're, we've been in the process of looking for another assistant pastor since February. Uh, we haven't gotten much interviews. Pastors are scarce. Uh, good pastors like 
Reverend Donnie is impossible to find, and so we have been searching very hard, and so please continue to keep us in prayer. Next year, uh, we also want to go into a theme, a new theme. It's called Back to the Bible. Back to the Bible is going to be our theme for 2017. Anybody remember what our theme for 2016 was? Humility. It's to be humble, right? And so we want to go back to the Bible in 2017. We are going to make our official translation, Bible translation, the ESV. And it's easily done in your apps. Um, and there are many reasons for it, which I won't really get into the depth of right now. But if you want to come talk to me, come talk to me. Um, I shared that with a youth group in our church, and they want to also use the ESV. And then I shared it with our head pastor, Pastor Yang, and he said, you know what? Why don't we also, the KM, use the ESV? So to me, that was amazing. I, I liked the ESV, and when I shared it, the whole church, we wanted to be united and also go into the ESV. Not that it's the perfect translation. I don't think there is. But for our purposes, we believe this is the better one that we want to use. Um, this leads me to my last one. This is somewhat serious. Uh, we had a vote a month ago uh, to leave the PCUSA denomination. And if you're new, you probably don't know. I'll make this quick. But this is important for us, especially for the 100 people here that did vote. Um, we had a vote twice, actually. One last year and one this year. And each time we voted 97.5% to leave and 96.45% to leave the PCUSA. The Presbytery took that vote and they had a vote on whether to approve our vote this past Tuesday. The Presbytery denied our uh, request to leave the PCUSA. Simply put, they won't, don't want us to leave the denomination, and they're not going to let us. Uh, what this means for us now, and this is important that you get it, because I don't want people to spread any kind of false rumors or say something else, uh, is that we are now in the process of thinking about what to do. So who's going to think and decide? Our senior pastor and our session. They're going to decide the next steps that we are going to take. As a church, we still want to continue to progress to leave the PCUSA denomination. And the reason being is that we want to maintain scriptural authority over this church, meaning the Bible, what the Bible says is what we are going to follow. Hence the theme, Back to the Bible. There, that's the reason. Uh, some of you have other reasons I'm going to tell you right now, that's not the reason. The reason why we want to leave is scriptural authority. Um, in this day and age, there's so much rumor mongering and gossiping going on. I am so happy that it has not pervaded this EM, that there isn't that much rumor mongering. There is a little. Uh, I know and I hear, and some people just love talking. I know who you are, and that's why I never let you be a leader. As a pastor, I hope you would trust me. If I never make you a leader, perhaps there's a reason why. There are some people who just love to talk and to gossip. I believe it's biblical to never put that person 
on stage or in the spotlight. The person that should be on stage is the person that God calls, and the person that God calls has to be humble. Otherwise, they will face church discipline. That being said, I am so happy that most of us, almost all of us, instead of rumor-mongering why this is happening, we have decided to stay united and pray. Ultimately, what I want to ask all the leaders and all our congregation members to do is to pray for our pastors and our session. That's what we do. If you hear a rumor, do what I do. Just tell them, I don't think that's true. I don't think you should repeat it. And then move on. And never repeat it to someone else. Someone, some people ask me, what are the rumors going on? I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> I'm going to say, uh, they're not good. Then I don't like to repeat it. Because even if I say this is false and I repeat it, there's something that happens to the soul that just becomes dirty. I'll give you an example. Right, I just told you I'm not going to spread. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> this is not about our church. There has been things like fake news going around. Fake news is the big news today. People think because of fake news, the election process was contaminated. I absolutely believe this to be true. Uh, There has been fake news. People in my family believe fake news. People that are intelligent, uh, well-informed to a certain degree, believe in fake news. I had someone... Uh, who has a master's degree, who is intelligent, who has studied, come up to me and say, Pastor Eugene, have you heard? I heard Michelle Obama was a transgender. And I told that person, no, she's not. He's like, well, can you be sure? And I said, I'm pretty sure she's not. He's like, what evidence do you have? I said, what evidence do you have? I mean, come on. Let's be real here. With the absence of evidence, we don't assume the worst about somebody. In the absence of evidence, we presume innocence. That's the way we function. And this is the way we should function in our church. With the absence of evidence, we don't spread rumor or gossip about anything. In fact, we say, probably not. There is no evidence. I'm going to push that aside so I can focus on what's really important. But guess what, if I spread it, and I say, oh my gosh, did you hear? Michelle Obama is a blankety blank. (laughs) I was like, are you serious? Um, But that is how people divide. That's how you divide any kind of community. You start rumor mongering, you start gossiping. You know why the Presbytery denied our vote? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, That is not what we do. And so I'm going to give you the facts, and I'm going to tell you what we do as a church. As a church, we will stay united in prayer and petition that God will continue to work through us. And guess what? Through all this, we have not been divided. That's why we need to continue to pray. There isn't enough prayer, I think. Even if we pray four times here on the stage for worship service, it's not enough That's why we say we're going to pray for 40 days. Guess what? Even after the 40 days, are you going to say, that's it, I'm good, God? Um, I do not agree with that. And in fact, I want to segue from that into our passage today. Chapter 34 is a passage that you may not have heard. In fact, Walter Brueggemann says in his commentary of Genesis, this narrative, meaning 
Dinah's rape. This narrative will surely not be widely used in theological exposition, meaning a lot of pastors won't talk about this. And guess what? He was right. I don't remember growing up ever listening to the story about Dinah's rape. I don't remember, and when I read it in my 90-day reading or one-year Bible, when I read this chapter, I thought to myself, what's going on? Why this random insertion? And what's the point of this story? Because we, as not just sermon givers, but we as sermon listeners, we want a clean, tight narrative. Do you know why sitcoms work? Because in 30 minutes or Oh my goodness, every once in a while, they have a to-be-continued, and it lasts two episodes. You finish up and tidy the narrative, but this one doesn't end like that. The Bible talks about all kinds of situations that happen in the real world, and muddled ambiguity, ambiguities will arise. You know why? Because it's real life. Many parts of the Bible will show us this too, but especially here, there are no clear good guys or bad guys in the story. It's not clear what is righteous. It's not clear what choices were really available. And if you want a cheap moralizing or a fast religious application, you will not find it here. In fact, if you read chapter 34, it will only frustrate you if you're looking for that kind of cheap moralization. The Bible is not Facebook, it's not Instagram, it's not social media. Your life is not summed up in a Facebook option to post your 2016 year in review video. Thirty-four, chapter, Verse 1 starts like this. Dinah, the daughter of Leah whom she had born to Jacob. This is a precious person, someone that God had blessed, a family that God had blessed. She was born in. In fact, the Bible does not mention any other female that was born to Jacob except Dinah. And that was mentioned in chapter 31 that we read before, and it said Dinah was born. In fact, Right before Rachel is pregnant with Joseph, Dinah was born. So Dinah was probably one year or two years older than Joseph at most. At this point in time, she is a young girl. And uh, I want to go through a theme today, and the theme is not, not. I didn't want to call the sermon title not, so I called it not the end, but I wanted to call it not. Number one, it's not Disney. Not Disney. She went out to see the woman of the land. This, I, I used to love Disney. Actually, I still kind of have a, a soft spot for Disney. When I was a kid, I would watch Disney movies all the time, memorize the songs and things of that nature. Um, I'm actually sorry I just said that. Uh, <laughs> Now, I was a manly man. I watched Rambo all the time. That's what I wanted to say. Rambo and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Um, and I used to memorize it. And 
Uh, I used to sing along and I used to know all the lyrics to even the more ambiguous, obscure songs. She glanced this way. Do you guys know? I thought I saw. When she touched, she didn't shudder at my paw. Right? I'm no Reverend Donnie, right? But I, I could try, right? Um, I can try. Uh, no, this can't be. Okay, I won't. I'll stop. Um, if you guys know, that means you watched way too many Disney too. Uh, but I, I, I really liked it. And the, the, the starting is almost Disney-esque. Where's this young girl, bright-eyed, starting to grow up? I want to go out and see the world. Very Disney-esque. Like Princess Jasmine in the movie Aladdin or any other princess. We just want to go out. The world is such a big, beautiful place, isn't it? And then she goes out. She wanted to talk with the women of the land. I want to be free of this enclosure that I've grown up in. I want to be able to see what's out there. How is that bad? And then in verse 2, it happens. Shechem. Shechem. What a, what a very... I don't like that name. In fact, if you're Korean, Shechem just sounds like a curse. This this Shechem, man, right? <laughs> I did not curse. Don't be telling people, it's like, Pastor Gene, cursing up. And no, it's in the Bible, Shechem. <laughs> this Shechem, right? <laughs> the son of Hamor. Oh, these names. Um, but this Shechem, the son of Hamor, uh, prince of the land, it's giving us a backdrop of who they are. Prince wasn't king. That means of a little province, probably not a city, but some village, saw her, seized her, lay with her, and humiliated her. Now, this is the story that it immediately starts with. You have this bright-eyed, innocent young woman who wants to discover the world. Maybe there is song in her heart, and maybe she wants to live the Disney life. This is 5,000 years ago people before Disney was even thought up but this happens he rapes her this young woman who could not have been more than 12 to 14 years old this is not Disney real world is not Disney I lived in our neighborhood growing up where you could have been mugged. Uh, some of us, I think, also grew up where I grew up. I remember giving a similar testimony, and someone came up to me and said, I also grew up in Elmhurst. Uh, I grew up in Elmhurst, Queens, in the 70s, 80s, um, and it wasn't that safe of a place to grow up. I guess. It wasn't terrible, I thought, but every once in a while, you, you would get mugged. That's just the way it was. Uh, what you had to do was, and my dad would do this, um, I got mugged only a few times, uh, thankfully. Uh, one time I remember uh, I had a roll of quarters in my pocket, and I was with some church people. I was so excited to go to the arcade. And we got stopped by these, uh, by these thugs, and they said, run your pockets. I was like, my pockets don't have legs. No, I didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> He said, you know, empty your pockets. Um, 
And all my friends would give out money, and I would say, I have no money. I was foolish, I was brash, but I really wanted to play in the arcade. So I was like, I'm not giving up my quarters. That's crazy, man. I'd rather die. I was just, uh, that's, that was me when I was a kid. Uh, this is what my dad taught me. He said, every time you have money, you keep around $30 in your wallet. If you have more than $30, you put it in your shoe. But you have, you have to have at least $30. Otherwise, people might just look at you with an empty wallet and just shank you or kill you anyway. And in fact, this happened to my dad outside of church, outside of his church. It happened when someone mugged him and said, give me your money. And he happened to have $30 in his wallet and a few hundred dollars in his shoe. And he gave that person $30. This is, this is the kind of society that was prevalent. Um, it's not like that now, um, fortunately, in the places that we live. Uh, Korean immigrant society has... Um, We've made a little bit of money. We're a little bit more middle class now. You grew up, most of you who are younger in your 20s, you grew up in the middle class, um, either lower middle class or upper middle class. I don't know if anyone here really grew up um, having to put money in their shoe. Daina was in a place that was unfamiliar. Usually, any time a young woman would go out in that culture, they needed to be escorted. The fact that she wasn't escorted and she went out alone and she was raped should give you many, many signals and should start opening up the scene for you. This is only two, three verses, guys. And this is going to start opening up the scene for you here. After Shechem... Anyway, after Shechem rapes Dinah, the three, three verbs that are used are so important. The three verbs that are used in the raping of Dinah is he seized her, lay with her, and humiliated her. You have to see the Hebrew also uses three verbs right after in verse 3. It says his soul was drawn to her, and he loved her. And he spoke tenderly to her. This is the classic case of an abusive man. They will abuse you. They are the aggressor. But they're not always like that. They will turn around and they will speak tenderly to you. It's almost as if this person is bipolar. But people who abuse their spouses are like that. And here the Bible is giving us some insight into that. The three verbs are flipped entirely. But I want to say it's not hesed. Not hesed. The love that is used is not hesed. It's not a faithful love. It's a sexual attraction. That's the love word that is used in the Hebrew. And when the Bible talks about Dinah, how does the narrator describe Dinah? In verse 3, it says, young woman. When Shechem describes Dinah, he goes in verse 4, get me this girl for my wife. There is no honoring. There is no lifting up. He says, girl. When the Bible says, young woman. 
These things are important to note because when we go into verse 5, it says, Jacob heard that Shechem defiled Dinah. Sons were out in the field. They were doing their work. So Jacob decided not to say anything. This is just weird now. What is going on? Why wouldn't Jacob say anything? The reality is, you know what? Not everything is perfect because you're not perfect. We heard last week of the miraculous encounter Jacob had. He wrestled with God. He got blessed from God. When he met Esau, the biggest trouble in his life, he was relieved of that trouble, and Esau and Jacob were parted, and Jacob was not killed. In fact, because Jacob thought he was going to get killed, he ran away. That's what this whole thing started. He stole the blessing from Esau, so he ran because Esau's like, I'm going to kill him. And finally, he gets that alleviated. You would think life should be perfect but it's not. Jacob doesn't say anything. In fact, Jacob doesn't say anything for the whole chapter until verse 30. Because Jacob keeps his silence, his sons speak instead. In verse 7, it says, The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard it, and the men were indignant and very angry. The actual Hebrew, this is a really good translation, but the Hebrew language has a way of drawing a picture. Angry is the word angry, but it literally means hot, like steam like rising from your head. It's almost cartoonish. You remember, you know how uh, when you were little you saw cartoons and when they would get angry, their face would get all red and steam would come out? That is how the Hebrew language portrays anger. Even before cartoons knew it, we had it in our language. And indignant was they were mortified. They were in disbelief and shock. They could not believe this could happen to their sister. They were so angry, not only because of what they did to her, but because this affected more than just one person. This affects their whole family. You know, these days, it's almost as if we are um, letting go. And when you continue to not think of this as a serious issue when you look in the internet. These are now um, almost just glorified. I'm talking about rape. You watch videos of rape, and that's how you get excited. That's just wrong. That's not right because rape isn't just about one person. Uh, embarrassing and destroying that person. But one person affects all the people they are connected with. Do you know that we as a people, we as a community, we are all connected? You're connected with people. 
That's why when you watch pornography, when you see and watch adultery, and this is the stuff that excites you, that what you are doing is you are neglecting and you are denying connection between that person and their community because you are doing something that should not be done in Israel. That's what they are saying in verse 7. When I continue to lust after things that I shouldn't lust, after people I should not lust after, what I am doing is I am now denying connection or I am willingly doing it because I don't care about the community they are connected to. That's why it has deep meaning. When we have people that are public servants, that are leaders of the community coming and saying things that are too brash, that downplay the role of other people in our society, that would say things misogynistically, that are blatantly sexist. That's why we denounce those things. We say things like, those people, women, are my mother, my sister, and my daughter. It's because we are saying that we are deeply connected with the people you are being misogynistic toward. That's why we denounce it. That's why the sons were indignant and very angry. It's not Hesed. You know, it's important to know that Hamor continued to speak. And in verse 8, I'm just going to go on and share what the, what the narration, what this chapter says. It's because I don't know if many people know this story. But I think it's vitally important that we do get it. He says, my son Shechem longs for your daughter. And I want her to be your wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us, and you can take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us, and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Not once is an apology given. Never is there a sorry. But instead, they just want to move along. Also, something interesting to note is when Hamor and Shechem go back to their cities, they say the same exact thing, except they take out one thing. They say, you shall dwell with us, the land shall be open to you, you dwell and trade in it, and get property in it, is what they say. But when they go back to the townspeople or the village people, they leave out, get property in it. So they say something else when they go back to their town. I thought that was really interesting, because even in the beginning, they were planning deceit and lies. And so when they give you they, when they give a Jacob's family this offer the sons it says the sons of Jacob answers Shechem deceitfully and says you know what uh, we can't we can't hang with you because you are not circumcised that makes you despicable to our people if you want to do this we will welcome it but you have to circumcise yourselves. Uh, if you don't know what circumcision is, uh, that's, that's terrible. Uh, seriously, there's Google. Uh, but it's where you, uh, don't, don't look at the images, just look at the description, right? Look at the images, whoa. Um, it's where you cut off the foreskin 
of the male reproductive organ, and that is how they knew they were, they belonged to God. This act made them belong to God. And the ironic part is, as they cut themselves, uh, Jacob's sons went and cut them all down. So they agreed. They're like, that's great. We will get circumcised. And when we get circumcised, uh, we'll do it. So they were so excited. They go back, and remember, he tells them that story. They get circumcised. And while they were still in pain, like two or three days later, the whole village, all the men did it. So they're in pain. Uh, two sons go and kill them all. Now you have to be wondering, this was terrible. There's deceit going on. Is this the right retaliation? Some of you might be quick to answer. But I got to tell you, the Bible does not quickly answer this. And I think you should neither. When they come back, after killing all the males, we still don't know what they did with all the females, the mothers and daughters that were there. In fact, it could have been horrible things, but it doesn't tell us. When they kill them all, they come back, and Jacob says his first words. He says, you have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. The first thing Jacob talks about is political. He is worried about what's going to happen to him. Now, I began this whole storytelling on Jacob with Jacob was in a dysfunctional family, but you see it isn't completely healed yet either. You would think when we have a ladder and you see a stairway to heaven, you're like, wow, I've encountered God. You would think that throughout the whole ordeal, God had blessed him with children, son after son, and even a daughter. You would think, wow, God really has blessed. You would think that after you wrestle with God and you come out, saying, God will bless me. Wow, I'm good now. But the answer is no. Do you know why? Because we're like that too. We're like that too. How many times have we been blessed? How many times have you been given favor by God? And how many times have we also turned away, letting our insecurities get the best of us? In fact, The last word in this chapter is not given by Jacob, but by his sons. When they reply to him, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? That's it. That's the interaction. But I want to say this. When it's convenient, we can say, I want to put it up on my Facebook. I want to put it up on my wall. And when it's not convenient, we do not. The Bible does not do that because the Bible does not forget. It shows us that God does not forget what you go through. The hardest times in your life, you wish you could erase it. 
You wish you could just move on, but it just doesn't happen. Well, the Bible is showing us that you are not forgotten. In Psalm 56, verse 8, it says, You have count, kept count of my tossings, my tears in a bottle. Are they not in your book? Jesus writes them in his book, your sufferings. In Psalm 27, 10 says, My father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. When all else fails, when everybody you think you could have trusted fails you, just like Jacob failed his daughter, God does not. And I want to share this one last thing with you. This is not the end. The hardest time that you go through, this scene that is so difficult for you to see it come to pass or to be alleviated from, that does not define you. That is not the end for you. The story does not end with that scene. In fact, in the very next verse, now mind you, all this was happening and never did they once go to appeal to God. Never did they pray. Never did they go back to the altar and say, you know what, we need to see what God has to say about this. They did not say that. So why are we surprised when God doesn't intervene? Because we didn't want him to intervene in our lives. We wanted to wallow in our self-pity so many times, do we not? We want to fix things ourselves. But it is not the end. In the very next line, it says, God said. God said. In the Hebrew, said, or the word is davar. Davar isn't just what is said, but it is actual substance. When we say the word, it is substance. It's not just like air. When we think of, oh, Pastor Eugene said, we think it's just some kind of thing that comes out of the mouth. But in the Hebrew, the image is actual substance that comes out, the word. When God said, davar, and it comes out, the substance comes out of God, that substance, the word, the Bible tells us, is Jesus Christ. The story does not end because God said he gives us Jesus. There is Jesus in this story because God said, my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. This is the promise that he gives us as believers. We are not perfect. We get tired if we have a little bit of, a little extra in the sermon sometimes, right? Let, let's be honest, me too, I get tired up here, I'm like, whoa, I've been here for a while, I wanna go now. We get a little tired. We are not perfect. But you know what? God is. And even though we don't have a perfect record, God gives us his perfect record. His perfect record is Jesus Christ. This is why no matter what we go through, we can say, this is not the end. You know what, the presbytery vote, sure it happened, but it is not the end. This scene in my life is hard, it's 
difficult, there's suffering, but the Bible is promising me it's not the end. You know, I want to look for something and I can't, just can't see the next, next few steps. It's really difficult. It's bleak. It's black. I can't even imagine how this is going to happen. But the Bible is promising us as we have a covenant with God, who keeps that covenant? It's God. Every time we do something that deserves the opposite, nothing they did deserved God. But he is the one that says, it is not the end. This afternoon, know this, our church isn't going to end. Your life, it's not the end. God has written a story for you, and in Jesus Christ, the story is a story of victory. It is not the end, my brothers and sisters. Listen carefully. It could be ambiguous. It could be dark. You might not know how to decipher all these things that are going on. And that's, that's just real life. It's real life. It's not Disney. It's not a sitcom. But God says it's not the end. Let's pray. Lord God, I don't know exactly how many people are here that are suffering, that really need you to answer them now, in and through their suffering. The times that they have may not be their highs right now, but Lord, what we do know is that we need to trust in you, that we need you more than anything else. So Lord, as they turn to you, as they lift up their hearts to you, do not deny their hearts. I pray that you would speak into their lives now. Let's take this time to reflect on the message. Let's take this time to reflect on our own lives and see how God is declaring it's not the end for you. Let's pray.